0: That might be a first time ever quoting Britney Spears on that podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Irenacast. I'm your host, Jeff, and on the first and third Tuesday of every month, we bring to you our perspectives on theology and culture from a post-evangelical lens. Thank you for joining us for another conversation to provoke your progressive Christian imagination. Unfortunately, this week, Alan will not be joining us in his regular co host position. He is, as we say here on IrenaCast, on assignment. But fear not, IrenaCast listeners, Ireniacs, IrenaPeeps, whatever we're going to call ourselves. Uh, we have joining us once again our in-house Enneagram expert, Pastor Casey. Pastor Casey is the pastor of Loomis Basin Congregational Church, as well as a co-founder of Intersections and just an all-around amazing person. Uh, Casey, welcome to the show once again.
1: Hello, hello, friend. It's so good to see you.
0: Casey, it is always a pleasure to see you as well. Thank you so much for joining us. This week, we are going to be talking about calling and identity, specifically Casey's journey as a gay man into the ministry and what that entailed during his deconstruction and journey through evangelicalism. And for our segment this week, we're going to be bringing back an oldie but a goodie, uh, Famous Christians for 100.
1: So exciting. So exciting.
0: Indeed, I'm very excited for this conversation, Casey. Um, so let's let's get into it. Let's start with what we know about Casey. This wonderful man. He is amazing. He's compassionate, a pastor, but also a gay man coming from an from evangelical roots. And obviously, the arc of this podcast is all of our journeys from evangelical or some kind of religious fundamentalist roots, and where we've landed now into something more life giving, more hopeful. That doesn't. Negate our past, but incorporates it into something better. I would say. Um, so, Casey, let's start with when you feel you were called, and what does calling mean to you? I know that's a big thing to unpack, but I think this is kind of a good place to start the conversation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, the joke in my family is that I actually uh, was preaching on a stump at three around a campfire, um, and so for much of my life, all I ever could imagine being was a pastor. I think that for me, calling means from the very beginning, in the beginning, right? This sense that I, that I was called, called to be a pastor, called to, learn, uh, to love and serve people. And um, there was no denying that, not even for the pastors that surrounded me as a young person. Even when I was in high school, like freshman year, I was preaching preaching in my home church, preaching in other churches. And that sort of was the weird rub is that by high school, I knew, I knew there was something different about me. And uh, I I had no words to articulate that or no safe space to, you know, process it. But I knew, I knew something was different. But I also knew that that the church loved me and I loved the church and I loved God, you know? I remember uh going to other youth groups and having youth pastors as soon as I walked through the door ask me to preach. It was like they knew it was their night off, you know. I would just show up just out of nowhere and they'd be like, "Oh, you're here. Why don't you preach?" So,
0: nice. That's amazing. I can say as a former youth pastor that there's, you know, there's a kind of a rush in seeing students that you've cared for kind of give a sermon and uh yeah. <laughs> Um. So you mentioned that you were processing a lot. Uh, What were some of the things in the beginning that made you abundantly aware that to process out loud was an unsafe thing, especially as you're dealing through calling and also, you know, being closeted. Um. I guess that would be, you know, the proper term. Right. Uh, How was that process for you? What was going on internally?
1: That's a that's a very appropriate word. Yeah, closeted. Well, I think that. I think some of it was um, just my family of origin. You know, we were, I grew up very conservative. My family was very conservative. Um, My grandpa was the mayor of the city I grew up in. And so there was a lot of pressure to look and be a certain way. And not that that was a bad thing. I mean, I, I don't hold any remorse for that for my life as a child, but, you know, we had to look and be a certain way. And so there, so I knew that I couldn't really share that with my family, but even at church you know the message was that if you were gay you were an abomination you were broken and i heard that from the pulpit i heard that from youth pastors and so i knew that i that i could never share this information you know they did this thing where i grew up in sort of that purity culture you know where you uh wear a purity ring and you save yourself for the one that you love in fact you don't even kiss i mean i there i heard adults say i didn't even kiss my wife until the day that we got married which even as a young person i thought that's sort of weird you know that's kind right. of yeah. there's something bizarre about <laughs> sure. this but um but there was always this challenge to date Jesus. Just date Jesus for 1 year and watch how how God works in your life. And so Jesus became my beard, you know? <laughs> um he, he I I could just tell people I was dating Jesus and they thought I was so holy and so righteous, but it was really I just didn't want to deal with the truth of of what was actually going on behind all of that.
0: Right. So Internally, how is that being processed where you have this strong knowledge, sense of calling, but at the same time, the place where you feel called, you are being told on a regular basis, is not for quote unquote someone like you? What were the internal mechanisms that were going on in that? What were the, you know, justifications
1: or, or however? And then most importantly, how did that just affect you? So. I think for a long time I internalized that, and especially as uh, twos and fours, we do a lot of internalizing of our shame. I'll tell you that for a long time I thought I was broken, and so when I when I went to college, like when you walked into my college, there was this huge placard. I knew that I couldn't come out until I went to college, Um, but I ended up going to a mildly conservative Christian school, um, small school of 150 people. And when you walked in, on the left-hand side, there was a huge placard, and it said, Jesus only. And they meant it. (laughs) Like, they meant it. And almost upon arrival, I came out. For better or worse, it was like, I am free, and I am going to be be myself. Wow. So... So, what was the catalyst for that?
0: What was your your mindset? What was your your drive to be determined to come out in that that way in such a conservative institution?
1: Well, at first at first, it wasn't it wasn't that i that I thought I was going to remain gay. Oh, okay. Um, the message was that they could fix me, and so I went to this thing called ihop, International House of Prayer.
0: I uh, yes, um, familiar with it.
1: And they, you know, put me in this dark room with all these people laying hands on me and talking in tongues. And all of these messages like I had like I had been a part of traditions where miraculous things had happened. Like people growing limbs back or whatever, you know, illnesses going away. And here I am in this situation where it's like God, I have devoted my entire life to you and I know that you have called me to be a pastor. Why can't you fix me? Like how how am I so broken that not even you can heal me? Right. Wow. I had I had yeah, students like put anointing oil over my door at one in the morning because they said that I had demonic spirits. And I'm like, no, it's just like one in the damn morning. You know, like, what <laughs> right. the hell is Everyone's a little
0: demonic at one in the morning.
1: I had, that's right. That's right. Uh, look, I'm demonic until 10 a.m. You know, it's <laughs> like, that's just the way it is every day. But even having like professors, uh, my my advisor at the time say, um, Casey, well, you should never be a pastor. We can love you, but we cannot love your sin. And so there was just this dark moment where... Um, this is getting to your question about how did you rise out of that? How did you decide to move beyond beyond, uh, all that negativity, those outside forces? There was a moment where I had considered taking my own life. Because if God couldn't heal me, and if I couldn't do the work that God had called me to do, then what was the point of my life? And so I remember laying on the shower floor and one of the very few times in my life that I can attribute to the actual presence of God coming near. And this subtle voice saying, there is another way. It was like I just got up off the bathroom floor and said, well, then, if there's another way, then I need to find it. Because if you haven't made junk, I mean, you never made junk, God, right? And that's sort of what I tell young people. So one of the things that I do is I work with... um LGBT teens, and I talk to them all over the place. And one of the things that I say is, do not listen to those outside voices, those voices that tell you you're broken, you're an abomination, there's something wrong with you. Because there's a subtle voice inside all of us that is telling us that you are good and you are whole. And that we are not a a fad, you know, gay people, this isn't like a new thing. But gay people have been around forever. And they oftentimes have been the confidants of kings and royalty, the two-spirited person from the Cherokee Nation, um, who worked with George Washington to settle the deal, you know, Hezras in India. Like there are, there are people for thousands of years who have been LGBTQ. And it's only since colonialism and crazy Christianity, uh, that we've become a problem. Right, and so um, it's it was for me finding that subtle voice that said you are good and you are whole, and there is and to find that other way, and even if the way is you alone, um, you are not the only gay person in the world. Here's a revelation for fours: you are not the only person in the world. Like there are other people with your experience, and so it became then a justice issue for me of like, if I am going to do this, then I can pave the way. Um, and if not me, then who? And so I was the first student to come out in my college and graduate. Um, all of the students before me either came out and left or came out after they had graduated. But it was super painful. And, it was, and it's fascinating sometimes to look back and be like, oh, yeah, that happened.
0: Right, right. So it sounds like you had two coming outs of sorts, where one in an attempt to, I don't know, almost like purge or heal. And I put that in quotes and another of acceptance, like, no, this is who I am. There's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with who I am. There's nothing wrong with what I do. I have a calling. I'm a good person.
1: That's right. Right. I mean, I remember having, um, talking about spiritual abuse, (laughs) having a pastor sit me down and say, I want you to recount all of your gay experiences with me and for an hour and a half having to relive these moments with this man who's shaking his head at me and telling me he's going to pray for my soul.
0: My God. Jeez. Um,
1: it was it was super awful. And, and then coming to this point of walking in and telling that pastor, you can never talk to me about this again. I am good, and I am whole. And even at that point, still not necessarily believing it. Still in the process of trying to figure out who I am and— and how I'm gonna get through this. But knowing that it was worth it, like this fight would be worth it. And it has been. I mean, I have been a pastor for four years now. Um, I've been doing ministry for ten and I'm so grateful for my life. And I can't imagine um imagine my life any other way, quite frankly.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> to a certain extent, you know, we're we're made up of all of our struggles, but but geez, I can't imagine going through through all that. It just it makes me angry thinking about it. And even having to recount everything in front of that whatever administrator.
1: Super gross. Super gross.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Super gross. That's a great way to describe it. Uh man, I just I'm sorry.
1: That right. But the reality is, is like coming out of that and being able to look at my call now and to see the people in whom I serve and the real big heart that it's given me, right? It was on it was almost upon like coming out that all of my female friends came to me to like tell me their deepest, darkest secrets around, you know, maybe sexual abuse that had happened to them or um, issues that they were having with their boyfriends. Um, I have found that as a gay man, I sort of like live in this like almost two worlds where people feel safe enough to share stuff with me both as males and females. It's almost like because the world sees me as deviant, like now I get to share in everybody's stuff. And so I feel a deep sense of honor and gratitude for the people who have come to me and are like, I have nowhere else to take this. I have nowhere else to go with this.
0: I kind of love that... The thing that this segment of people say is preventing you from embracing God's calling in your life is actually heightening it. It's actually making something. um,
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Giving you something unique to who you are and allowing you to be more effective in the lives of people.
1: Right. Yeah. And even now in my congregation, it's like the more people who are showing up are people who have been wounded by the church, you know, for either being LGBT or having family who are LGBT, or for other reasons. Maybe their political views aren't lining up with their previous, you know, places. Or I've had single moms come in and say, I want to raise my daughter in a place that will allow them to be able to be pastors and be articulate about who they are and what they want. And so, um, being able to serve in a church and to be the all of who God has created me to be, I believe, has allowed me to uh, create a space for others where they can come and be and heal and and move forward in their own calling. Right? To like, it isn't just about like um, I have arrived, but how do we arrive together? Like, how do you how do you find that inner voice in you that says you are good and you are whole? Um, yeah.
0: Right. So how did you find that voice? It sounds like your college experience was formative for sure, yeah. but also devastating in a lot of ways. Where were the voices or the books that you were reading or hearing from that kind of gave you the confidence to move forward and have that boldness to say, this is who I am? Right.
1: There were some amazing people. One of the things that uh, my college uh, required of us was service service learning. Like we had to do some sort of internship. And so my second year, I started working at an AIDS organization, helping create community for men and women who were dying of HIV or of AIDS, sorry. Um, And so basically, we were their family, we were their friends, we took them out to do fun stuff, but we also sat with them in hospitals and in their dying days. Um, And the program director at that time uh, was an amazing man named Bertram Johnson, who was a Presbyterian, couldn't be ordained but he had his Master's in Divinity and Social Work from uh, Princeton Theological Seminary. And I just claimed him as my fairy godfather. <laughs> I was just like, I need someone who, who loves Jesus, um, but also is out and proud. Like, I can't, I can't stay in this situation without having anchor points. There was another young man who had left my college because it wasn't safe for him, but he was working at a gay bar and grill. On Capitol Hill in Seattle, which is kind of like the Castro, like a gay mecca for uh, the state of Washington, and so I went and found him. Like someone told me his name, and I just showed up in his restaurant, and I was I just bursted into tears. How dramatic is that? I was just like, "You don't know me, but I need friends. Like I need people who, who know my experience and can who and can love me through this." Um, there were professors, um, the psychology professor, my boss, my, my third year, um, she was a, the resident director. She was amazing. Um, there were a lot of great people who just sort of surrounded me despite all the other crazy. And I think that that's just advice that I would give any person, um, who's listening to the podcast. Like if there are kids in your life or young adults who you even suspect, sort of suspect, just draw close to them. You don't have to have a conversation. But children and teens and even young adults need to know that people are listening. Listening without judgment, without any sort of caveats or, I don't know, hooks. What's the word for hooks? But, you know, they're, just that nonjudgmental listening is so important for young people.
0: Right. Absolutely. 100%. Um, so you know, as you're talking, you've, you've faced some pretty difficult things and some pretty major hurts from people who claim to be God's, to claim to be God's people, and, you know, namely the church. And for a lot of people, it's really difficult to separate how the church responds to them and affects them and God's self. In the midst of this, you seem to have a resolve, a faith that there's no question of God's existence. It's just a matter of getting past this I don't know, particular representation of God and God's people. Uh, what did that look like for you? Was there a moment of faith or was it there always that resolve within you?
1: Yeah, I would say at least in those days, um, yeah, there was a deep resolve that like, this was gonna, that, that it, it was me and Jesus all the way. I mean, Jesus had gotten me through my childhood. He had gotten me through high school, protecting me. Right. He was your uh, high school boyfriend, right? <laughs> right. That's right. Exactly. Um, and so, at this point still, um, I had a deep connection to Jesus and, and the sense that we were going to get through this. I mean, you led people through a wilderness for 40 years. You can get me through this, sh- you know? It wasn't until later that it sort of was like, I just, I had this major deconstruction where it was just like, I don't know if I can handle any of this, God. But I think the biggest thing is like, you know, you hear you'll hear people say in traditions that uh, maybe their church becomes open and accepting. You know, this isn't my church anymore. This isn't my denomination anymore. I'm leaving, and they run off and start new churches or do whatever. When those very people who have been fighting for their rights have remained in the church, have stayed you know that's that's always a fascinating thing that um all of a sudden this isn't your church and so you have the right to just up and leave and in the process those who have stayed and fought um somehow it's less our church um is fascinating to me that's the other thing about uh serving in the context in which i do that for many of us where else could we go like where else i i i think of that that verse where peter looks to jesus and says Where else will we go, Lord, for you have the words of eternal life? I think of that so often in the work that I do, because for a lot of the people I encounter and that I serve, this is our last stop at church. Like There is no other place for us. If we can't be here, we can't be anywhere. Yeah, I would just challenge anyone who is in a a tradition where um, they are hearing people say things like, um, you know, if gays come, this is no longer my church. Or, uh, you know, if we allow women to preach from the pulpit, this is no longer my church. Well, what the hell? Those people who have stayed and fought the good fight, it's just as much their church. And has been their church all along, too. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's strange how fervently some people will hold on to what their church is supposed to be, but the minute it strays in their mind, or just a little bit from what that, how quickly they are willing to abandon it, to just walk away from it, or any organization, really.
1: Right. That's right. That's right.
0: So after college, what next? I'm assuming being the pastor of an evangelical church was probably out of the question after you graduated.
1: Was no longer an option, let me tell you. <laughs> right. No longer. Look, and I had spent some time at Mars Hill. Like, I thought Mark Driscoll and I eventually could be like buddies. Yeah, no way. Oh, man. Yeah. No, 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 no. I know. It was awful, man. Those were some crazy times.
0: If a podcast uh, could have an arch nemesis, I believe that Mark Driscoll might be IrenaCasts.
1: <laughs> yes, good. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, so after that, I I started at the Lutheran Seminary uh, with hopes of being a uh, an ELCA pastor.
0: And is Lutheran the denomination you grew up
1: in? Yeah, Lutheran and evangelical. Yeah, I grew up, um, I often say that actually Martin Luther saved me in a lot of ways because his understanding of grace is what was able to anchor me, anchor me in all of those times. And I often joke with my evangelical friends who grew up Lutheran, uh, and got re-baptized that I was the real Lutheran because I never got b- baptized again. You know, I, re- I remember the, the, the youth pastors, you know, don't you want to get baptized again? Don't you? I'm like, no, I think once is good enough. Thank you. You know, but yeah, I, um, so I did two years at the Lutheran seminary and realized that they still had a lot of work to do around, um, sex and, LGBT issues. I mean, I literally came to the Lutheran seminary 1 month after they started ordaining out open gay and lesbian people. And I was there alone that first that first year as the only gay man. And it was really rough. And I just decided after a few run-ins with some folks <laughs> that it, that it wasn't that that wasn't for me, that I couldn't I couldn't stay there. And so I left and uh, joined the United Church of Christ, where I encountered uh, Bishop Yvette Flunder. I don't know if you know her, uh, Jeff. But
0: yes, actually, she very is very familiar. We just did an episode of my other pa- podcast, Divine Cinema, on the Netflix movie Come Sunday. And she was involved in uh, you know, Bishop Carlton Pearson's. Challenging of the evangelical idea of hell and how all that came about. So uh, for that podcast, I did a little research and became an immediate fan of her, for sure.
1: She, um, So I'll, let me tell you how I came to the United Church of Christ. So I um, was taking some classes at the UCC Seminary, and I saw a flyer. So at this point, I'm already ready to leave the Lutherans, feeling discouraged. That's when I think my final deconstruction, like where everything fell apart, was because... Uh, if I couldn't be a Lutheran, then what? Right? Then there, I felt like everything was gone, and I was really depressed. And um, I'm walking out of my classes, and I see this flyer, and it says revival. And I'm like, what do what do like liberal Christians know about a revival? Like I grew up in a tr- revival tradition, you know, where you stay up all night praying and reading and talking in tongues. What do what do liberal Christians know about a revival? And I found myself at the back of the chapel, hesitantly waiting. Like, if this sucked, I was out. You know, like, I, I, I sat in the very last pew because I knew that I wasn't sure I, I could stay. And Bishop Flunder preached this message about, um, there have been many outside forces who have tried to steal the promise that God has put on your life. And, um, and I want you to hear me say that God sees God's promises through. And with every head bowed, and all of a sudden the music starts playing, I'm like, "Holy shit, is this an altar call?" <laughs> <laughs> with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you need to come and like reclaim that promise and renew your faith, come on down, and I look up, and all of the people standing are from my queer theology class. Wow, and we're all crying,
0: wow, that's amazing that's and that's like a A beautiful reversal in any other context that would have been you're going down to purge something from you instead of embrace this amazingness of who you are. That's right. Beautiful. right.
1: Beautiful. And and I'm like ugly crying down that. (laughs) As well you
0: should be. Oh, my goodness.
1: And Yvette Flender is holding me and she's just saying, it is okay, baby. It is okay. And there was just this moment of like, if she can be here, so can I. And that was that was a huge transition for me. So I, I, I left the ELCA and I joined um the the UCC and started an amazing ministry in Modesto doing uh outreach to young young adults who are LGBT. That was great. Um, but then I needed like a real job as I was finishing up ordination, and so I started. I needed I needed to get a job, and so I I did youth ministry um in another Lutheran church. Upon hiring me, half that church left. They split because they hired an out gay man seeking ordination in the United Church of Christ. And it was super painful. People saying things like, how could they hire you to work with our children? Making accusations about my partner and I saying that I was overweight and uh, I looked dirty. What the hell? Just the most painful things that they could say and do, um, and and then the pastor uh, that was serving, he he took a sabbatical and basically um, came back for a little while, but then left, took another call, and for three years I wandered with this congregation who was hurting and grieving. They had three interims in the process, but a lot of those interims, they were you know they were there to help pick up the pieces, but they were also retired clergy. So they were, you know, they wanted to preach. That's what they wanted to do. Um, I had the opportunity to really be pastor of this church. As painful as that situation was, I can honestly tell you um, that that is where I learned all of my skills in being a pastor in terms of like walking with people through the desert. Like, I understand Moses. We're just going to keep wandering out here and figuring this out, you know? And so I left when they found a settled new pastor and i was able to come into the united church of christ for good like it was like i was able to shut that door and never look back and and be able to live into all of who i am and to see and 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 to see that ministry grow even in the midst of pain and chaos and to walk into a church and say confidently i can lead you like i know how to do this and i've known how to do this since 3 years old but it's just a little more refined now, you know? Yes, (laughs) I have bigger words (laughs) and uh, a little little more um, education under my belt. But um, the journey has been long and hard, but I wouldn't change one minute of it, one minute of it uh, ever.
0: This, Casey, is why you are affectionately known as Pastor Casey and always will be in my mind. I don't throw the word pastor around a lot, but man, it just bleeds from who you are. Uh, your care for people over organization and polity is just is just amazing. So, oh man, what a journey. What a journey.
1: Thank you, man. I appreciate that. I really believe in this sense of like um wholeness, you know? That's what I think salvation is. And it's not wholeness um like in our heads, you know, it's not like, oh, I'm feeling so, you know, healthy today. But it's a restoration, a restoration of, of our relationships to God and to community and to self. Like, RuPaul's famous quote, like, if you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love anybody else? I use it all the time. But it's so true. Um
0: I remember the first time I met you when we did the Intersections episode back in episode 113. I'll put that in the show notes, but you said this very quote and you talked about this idea of wholeness and that really stuck with me. It's still stuck with me. Uh it was something that I think even on the episode I was like, "Yes, I I'm down with that." Uh and I think that that is, you know, For me, at least, and you, of course, this is the way to create an environment, a spiritual environment as a pastor, is to create a place where people can feel they can go on that journey of wholeness without being degraded or hurt or damaged in the process or assumed upon and where their journey is. And, you know, maybe that's just a couple of two and fours talking, but (laughs) that's the way I think. (laughs) That's right.
1: That's right. Yeah. But also, this idea of closets. So, if, if, if salvation is about wholeness, um, closets are about sin. You know, there's that, you know, saying that the only thing that ever belo- belonged in a closet was clothes, you know? But I have a friend in recovery who said to me one time, you're only as sick as your secrets. And I hold on to that, you know? And I think that that is, that is so true for, um, any person who has has a story to tell that they are unable to tell, you know? Um, and that's what I think um, being a gay man allowed for other people in my life, straight people especially, who felt like there was no place for them to go and share their stories and their truths, they could share it with me uh, because, because I somehow uh, could hold that space for them. And so I I think that one of the LGBT one of the things that LGBT people have to offer the world is our ability to say no more closets. Like no more no more secrets. I sometimes get in trouble for being a little like too much of an overshare, like over authentic. Um a part of that is being a four, but I think a part of that is saying, I don't ever want to go back to that place. Like I don't ever want to go back to a place of um not telling the truth about who I am or what I'm feeling or what I love or what I hate. You know, um, I think that w- even in our culture, as we see the Me Too movement move forward, right? This is a a proclamation of people being able to say, "This is my experience. This is I'm no longer going to hide in the shadows and live in the darkness, but I'm going to come out and tell my truth, um, not just for the sake of my own wholeness, but for the sake of a very sick society that needs to be confronted with its brokenness."
0: So, for you, would you say that? Closets are the antithesis of calling, like calling being a full embracing of who you are and and closets being a denial or a hiding of the things God has made you to be? Yes, absolutely. I love that.
1: Come out. Everyone come out. (laughs) (laughs) So Bonnie, uh, who has been on the show, who I, like, I am her super fan, talks about God as the lurer, right? The one who is luring us out, who's beckoning us forward. And I resonate with that so much that God is luring us forward into our calling, calling us out to be all of who we are, to tell the truth of our lives. I mean, that's the best part about IrenaCast, right? Is that the people that, that you are, um, sharing the space with through listening and responding to messages and all of that are people who are coming out, people who are telling the truth of their own lives, who are saying, I no longer can be in this space. Like, I no longer can subject myself or my family or my children to, to this understanding of who God is. And so I love this. I love IrenaCast. And I love the people that you are, um, that listen to the podcast, because they're all on their own callings. You know, they're all on their own journey forward. They're all coming out of their closets and moving forward and telling the, their the truth of their lives.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that, Casey, like certain like juxtaposed imagery really resonates with me personally. I don't know what it is, but just that idea of of being called out or, or in a closet and, you know, not to appropriate that language, because I know that that language in, in terms of closets is very, uh, you know, specific to the LGBTQ community, but celebrating that imagery in a way where we can find. Certain connections uh not to appropriate, but to to embrace to love, one of the things I missed the most is altar calls, right, where before it was very similar in the sense that it was always this place of I was trying to get rid of something in my life, get it out that's right, and there weren't a lot of places where you could just go and celebrate yourself Absolutely. and uh you know. I already don't do a very good job of that, of embracing who I am and my identity, and, and just celebrating no, me. No, you don't. No, you uh, not <laughs> Yeah, for sure.
1: But none of us do, right? None of us really do. And, and I think that that is, I, look, I was talking to a, a teenager yesterday who, who is a Pentecostal, right? I mean, whoa, like, whoa. And who is, who is really struggling because his tradition has said, God can heal you. Um and if and, and if God can't heal you, then you should just be celibate, which are really terrible messages. And so the thing that, that I keep saying is, yeah, but what does your heart say? You know, what do you what is what does that inner internal voice say? I don't think that we as a society do a very good job of of telling ourselves or anybody really, you are good. You are good enough, you know. We live in a society that says you got to pull yourselves up by your damn bootstraps and keep moving on, right? Uh, I really, I, I want to, I'd love to come back on and do a whole uh, conversation with you on um, spiritual uh, capitalism because I think that we have bought into this idea that somehow our faith is like our economy, and if we just have a little more of it, then uh, if we keep working hard enough, maybe God will do something for us, you know. Um, instead of seeing ourselves from the very beginning as good, and celebrating that to say, um, you know, what isn't there to love? If I was made good, what isn't there to love about me? That's a much better question. I'm not saying I'm good at it, <laughs> right? I'm not like I'm not even remotely close to good at this. Um, but it, but it's a process of every morning trusting, like I am good enough, and so that's the message that I've, I've. Tell teenagers. It's a message that I encourage my congregation. It's a message I'd encourage you, my friend, as a <laughs> as a co-journeyer, um, and all your listeners, to know that you are good, to know that you are whole, that you are loved, and to and to press on. You know, to tell your truth. And um, what is that? Uh, you know, speak the truth, even if your voice quivers or something. It's true. It's it's you're freer for it. Even if you lose everything, you know. I mean, Harvey Milk, when in in his revolution, um, wanted everyone to come out in two weeks. That was his thing. Like, come out in two weeks. That didn't give anybody any time to process, and it hurt people. I often tell people, come out to the people that you think are the safest, and like build your community first. I came out over five years, really. Because I wanted to feel like I had a tribe, that if my family couldn't love me, that I had already created a family who could. And so having my my blood family accept me and love me would just be um, the icing on the cake to a life that I had already created for myself. And so um, I would tell that to anybody who's coming out who has a story to tell. You know, Find those safest people first, and then branch out from there, but don't hide your truth. Don't closet yourself because you have work to do.
0: Right. And I think that someone from my vantage point, you know, straight white male in this in this country, in this cultural climate, has a responsibility to that. To be able to have enough self-awareness to step aside and leave space, expand that territory of safety into people who have not been able to experience that on a regular basis and hear people's experiences, not in a sense of just to find that common ground and then immediately say, oh, we totally understand, but to understand that we're never going to fully understand, but just to accept this is the space for people to feel safe. And we're going to hear and listen to their experiences and about who they are and accept it at face value instead of look at it with some sort of agenda to change or look at it with some sort of, you know, suspicion in terms of who this person is and what they're really after or whatever stuff is all connected to that because we have this tendency to want to appropriate and incorporate right
1: right. you know
0: the white man's version i
1: have a i had a gay friend once yes
0: exactly right exactly uh so casey is there anything else like as as we kind of close up our conversation and move on to our segment uh is there anything else you'd like to to say or or leave with our listeners to kind of wrap up this conversation
1: after deconstruction, one of the things that I often say when I'm leading prayer in a, my congregation or in youth group is, um, God, we thank you that you are as close as our very breath and as consistent as the heart that beats within us. And my my hope when I am saying that to teenagers, to adults, is that they begin to believe that God does reside in them. Um, that that image of your body being a temple of the Holy Spirit is probably the truest thing that we have, right? We don't know about that, the outside forces, good or bad. But if we could just trust that inner voice, that subtle voice, and trust that it is good and it is consistent and faithful, uh, I think that 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 is a good starting point for anybody who has deconstructed everything and is starting to build again, because that was true for me. Um, when i when I lost it all, when God died for me, it was that still small subtle voice that resided within me that allowed me to return and I would invite any person who is on this journey of deconstruction and reconstruction um, to to just put their hand over their heart to to fill their lungs with air and to know that that the God of the universe resides right there
0: Wow, Casey, I think you just performed. The first ultra call of IrenaCast here. <laughs> uh, that was great. Thank you so much. Um, let us know what you think. Uh, add your voice to this particular conversation and comment on the show notes at IrenaCast.com slash 131. Also in the show notes, you'll find relevant links and a complete list of all the other ways you can like, follow, and contact the show. That's IrenaCast.com slash 131. Uh, On the other side of the music, Casey's going to stick around and join me for a round of Famous Christians for 100. So it has been a while since we've pulled out this segment. It is uh, Famous Christians for 100. And basically what we've done is we've come up with a few quotes from prominent Christians, Depending upon your definition for Christian, you may want to put that in quotes. And uh, basically, the other host has to guess who said that. Uh, Super simple. That's exactly how it's going to work. Casey, I'm excited. Are you excited? Are you ready?
1: I am, because last time I felt like I missed the point of what we were doing, and I took it way too seriously. (laughs) So I I came prepared today.
0: All right, good. I am
1: ready. Nice.
0: All right. Well, then let's get to it. Give me your first quote.
1: Okay. Are you ready for this? I am ready. The idea that religion and politics don't mix was invented by the devil to keep Christians from running their own country.
0: Hmm. This, I'm thinking of two different people for this one. Okay. Um, I'm going to say Franklin Graham. No. Uh, the other person I was going to guess is Jerry Falwell Jr. Yep, you're right. <laughs> ah, I missed it. Ding, 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 ding. I knew it was going to be one of those nationalistic
1: Running their own country. Look, I'm so excited that Mike Pence has to hold a Quran um, and swear in these two uh, Muslim legislators. I'm so excited for that.
0: Right? Yeah. I mean, the election was a little bit of a mixed bag, but there are some bright spots, and that is certainly uh, one of them.
1: Yes. That was a side note. Sorry.
0: No worries. All right. You're ready for my first quote? Yes. All right. Here we go. Feminism encourages women to leave their husbands, kill their children, practice witchcraft, destroy capitalism and become lesbians.
1: Oh my god, is that Pat Roberts? It is. Wow, very impressive. Uh are you familiar with this particular quote? That was that was quick. No, I'm just like anyone who like that's the most horrific stuff I've ever heard and so uh I just figured it had to be someone as horrific. So. <laughs>
0: That's a, that's a good rule of thumb when it comes to these particular quotes, uh, especially Pat Robertson, man, that guy. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yes. he, has, he has some of the worst stuff. I feel like he just needs to retire
1: and uh, get some medication or something. Geez. All right. Are you ready? Yes. Stop looking for the path of least resistance and start running down the path of greatest glory to God and good to others, because that's what Jesus, the real man, did.
0: Jesus, the real man. Okay, I think just because of that line, I have an inkling on who that is. I think it's uh, Mark Driscoll. Yes,
1: it is. It absolutely is.
0: That's right. <laughs> nice man. That guy's so predictable. Oh uh, yeah. Oh jeez. So macho, right? How? What would Mark Driscoll think, Casey, to know that Jesus was your boyfriend in high school? <laughs> I know.
1: That's right. That's right. <laughs>
0: All right, Casey, are you ready for the next quote? Yes. Okay, here we go. I have zero tolerance for sanctimonious morons who try to scare people.
1: Oh, my God. I mean, like, the list as long of people that could be, you know? How about, uh, is it Franklin Graham?
0: No, it is actually also Pat Robertson.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: I mean the the, the self unawareness of those two statements and how he perpetuates this zero tolerance for that he is a sanctimonious moron who tries to scare people. Uh, it's just it's astounding to me. It it really is.
1: Right. Okay. Are you ready for the next one? Yep. Ready. Okay. Courage is fear that has said its prayers and decided to go forward anyway. Wow. <laughs>
0: That is uh that's a very flowery that's a that's a hallmark card right there that's right um so because it's so nice and sweet, yeah I'm gonna say uh Joel Olstein, so close
1: Joyce Myers,
0: ah uh, Joyce Myers, man, I haven't heard her <laughs> in a long time all right, you ready for my next quote yep, yep, okay, so here it is. I feel as if I have been blessed to undergo a transformation from gangster to redeemed sinner with gangster proclivities.
1: No, who is that? I don't even know, but it's so intense. I have no idea.
0: Cornell West.
1: That is, that is hilarious.
0: I love this quote. I love it. I love it. I think it highlights so many different things. Um, I just, I, th- this idea of redemption when we talk about like people being redeemed or saved or whatever, and how so many times it seems to be like you go from one extreme to another. But I think we forget that there are certain parts of who we are that are always going to be there. They're always a part of our, our makeup and they just are channeled into new things that breed redemption instead of something else. So anyway, I love this quote. It's amazing. I love Cornell West.
1: Yeah, that is, that is right. I really like that okay uh so my partner wanted me to add this one um this is not a pastor okay all right i'm ready i've never really wanted to go to japan simply because i don't like fish and i know that's very popular out there in africa oh
0: (laughs) (laughs) wow um there's a, a lot of ignorance on display in this particular quote uh, I have I have no idea. I have no idea. Britney Spears, Britney Spears. Okay, that might be a first time ever quoting Britney Spears on that podcast.
1: So my partner is not a church person, and so um, and he wanted to help me find quotes, and he found that one, and just thought he should share it.
0: Nice. Well, it it remind me of uh, what was it in the late nineties? The whole Jessica Simpson thing with the tuna fish on their reality show. What was it? The, um, the, the chicken of the sea yeah, or whatever. Right. Anyway, that whole, that old chestnut. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, are you ready for the next quote? Yes. All right. Here we go. Jesus said, judge not least ye be judged. Let's stop trying to choose the political leader who we believe are the most godly because in reality, only God knows people's hearts. You and I don't. And we are all sinners.
1: Franklin Graham.
0: Close. The other Franklin Graham, Jerry Falwell Jr.
1: Oh, my God. What is wrong with these people?
0: What is wrong indeed? Um, Man.
1: Right. That was fun. I would play that again. We should play that again with, like, everyone. That would be great.
0: Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. It's, you know, it can be hit or miss sometimes, but I think once you find a good quote, it makes for an interesting game. Uh, Yeah, so I guess... That will do it for us this week. Casey, thank you again for joining us. And how can people find you on the interwebs and what you have going on?
1: Yeah, you can find me um, at thequeerlyfaithfulpastor.com. Or you can find me on Facebook at Rev Casey Tinnen, Or you can also find me on Twitter. And you can find me at Twitter at Rev Tinnen, T-I-N-N-I-N. And
0: we will put all that information in the show notes at irenicast.com slash 131. As for me, you can follow me on all the socials at Jeff Manildi and listen on the second and fourth Thursday of every month to my other podcast, Divine Cinema at divinecinema.net. As for IrenaCast, don't forget to subscribe to the show and never miss an episode. We are available on all major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and many more. And while you're there, if your platform allows it, leave us a rating and review. Uh, we're always looking for more and more ways to hear from you. You can also fill out our listener survey at IrenaCast.com survey. The information you give is super helpful for us as we move forward and continue to evolve the show. That's IrenaCast.com slash survey. So for this week, I'm Jeff. I'm Casey. Thanks for joining the conversation.